Hello, listeners. This is Ellie Kushner, and welcome to this episode of Dancewell Podcast. In this conversation, Nico Kolokithas explains the training principle of specificity and how it applies to dance from many angles. We discuss general fitness parameters, why they matter, and whether dancers typically meet standard benchmarks. Then, Nico explains a bit about early specialization and also diversification of movement. Finally, we debate a bit about performance enhancement and conditioning for dancers, which is one of our favorite topics for sparring. Nico Kolokithas is an accredited coach from the UK Strength and Conditioning Association and has over 15 years of experience in the athletic development of the adolescent and elite performance in a wide variety of sports, including judo, netball, basketball, football, taekwondo, and tennis. He is currently the strength and conditioning coach for professional martial artists in Mai Tai and mixed martial arts. Based at Elmhurst Ballet School in the UK, he completed a PhD in injuries and the adolescent ballet dancer and also works as a consultant for the Birmingham Royal Ballet. As part of his studies, he led randomized control trials and injury prevention in dance and now has developed an injury prevention intervention called 11 Plus Dance. Nico also specializes in the rehabilitation of overuse injuries in adolescents who are training in different sports at the pre-professional level. Since 2014, Nico has been a visiting lecturer at the University of Wolverhampton in science and coaching, motor learning and control, and in the MSc in dance science. I want to drive, dive right in because we have a lot to get through. Are you ready? Here is episode 75 specificity and dance training buckle your seatbelt on this episode nutrition life coach dance and performance psychological and today you are in for hi hello this is ellie kushner and this is marissa schaefer from dance well podcast dance well podcast nico thanks for calling today Hi, Eileen. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about um, specificity of training and yes. looking at it from a few different angles. So I just want to start by having you unpack a very common phrase in the strength and conditioning field, um, because then we'll kind of move in and out of it. Um, but the phrase is training is specific. So for people who aren't familiar, can you explain what that means? Absolutely. Yes, uh, specificity, in, specificity in training, the principle of specificity, uh, states that adaptations are specific to the type of training stress. I think that's the easiest way I can, I can give the definition. So it follows that the, the type of training must be structured and planned in accordance to the requirements of the competition or the discipline. Uh, so that's that's in in um, in very short. This is what specificity means. We are we are training uh, specific to the demands. Now this could be uh, for strength training, but it, should, it could also be in um, cardiovascular training. So uh, to give you an example, the 100 meter uh, sprinter is not running 10k in order to get faster at 100 meters. Uh, the maximum that uh, he or she is going to do is going to be 300. So they just so have to get specific. really fast at 300. 
Yeah, you 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 build you build the endurance, and then you you start cutting down in order to get faster and faster for the hundred meters because this is your your goal. Uh, so another example for specificity is that uh, some uh, big coaches uh, post Second World War. Uh, when uh, the, the Russians and the Americans were competing very hard in, uh, in the Cold War, in the Cold War, <laughs> but also the Olympics were as political as it could get, uh, the Russians were better, and they they had uh, they had more money to spend because of communism. They had more money to spend in uh, sports, in research and development, and everything about sport. And of course, they were investing in, uh, in performance enhancement uh, substances as well. Uh, but uh, big name uh, coaches were uh, were developing exercise uh, curriculums, if you want, for the specific sports. So you would have uh, the sprinters, you would also have swimmers, you would have you would have the different track athletes, javelin, shot put, discus, and they would be developing exercises in order to overload uh, the particular movement stroke discipline. So going back to the definition, specificity is about being specific. (laughs) There, we did it. Um, Yes. (laughs) So we're going to talk more about sort of developing dance-specific conditioning programs um, like you were starting to get into. But first, I want to backtrack and compare specificity to generalizations. So um, thinking about general fitness and movement fundamentals, um, I'm wondering if you could first start by just saying before you get into specific training, what is needed in general training? What do dancers, lawyers, grandmothers, etc. need to be able to do in order to live their day-to-day human lives productively yes that's a that's a very nice way of uh, of putting it uh, i i actually had a, a webinar before I, um, before our call i was uh, doing a, a webinar for dance teachers and we were discussing this topic the the, the necessity the, the necessity of general before before going specific so to give you an example if uh, if we think about uh, motor development uh, of the of an infant, as the infant uh, grows up, we have expectations. Uh, in the first month, we have expectations. In the second month, we have expectations. In the third month, and by month fifteen, we expect approximately. Sometimes it happens earlier. We expect the uh, the baby to walk. So. This is, a, in a way, if you think about it, the baby will first learn how to balance and then it will start walking. So there is no way, there is no way you can go... Uh, Walk, then You balance. can start backwards. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. So, so and balance, and balance starts first with the head, uh, then it goes to the, to the torso, and then we have... Uh, the control of the torso so the the baby can actually sit. Uh, then we have the crawling, then we have the climbing, so touching the chair and standing up, etc., etc. And by by about uh, month fifteen, we're gonna see um, competent competent walking. 
So the, the this is an example to show how we have you know general patterns before we go to the specific of walking. You cannot fast forward these things. You cannot have, as you said, walking and then have crawling or balancing. So uh, the, the process of development, whether you are a dancer or whether you are a footballer, needs to go from general to specific. Right. And the general uh, movement patterns, when we go past the, the development of gait, so when we, when we, we know that the uh, individual can actually walk, we have some fundamental moves that, um, in, the, in reality, all movement can be broken down in these fundamental moves. Mm -hmm. So we have squatting or lifting from the floor. We have lunge. We have push and pull, twisting, gait, which is the walking, and in, in the different forms of walking. So once you, once you have the... The ability to walk, you can gallop, you can jog, you can sprint, you mm -hmm. can go backwards, etc. Uh, and then recently we have added the hip hinge and bracing. So if you think about it, movement can be broken down somehow with these patterns. So you will have patterns, but it will be these patterns that will define the movement. If you say spinning, if you say to me, yeah, but what about spinning? Well, spinning is, is twisting faster. You don't have on that. So it's not a uh, balance. And I guess balance isn't on there. And, and I guess gait, like weight shifting is, um, you don't have weight shifting, but that's part of gait, I suppose. That's part of gait. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And, and, and balance is, you know, basic balance is taken for granted because if you don't have balance you probably won't be able to walk and if you think if you think of uh, either very young babies like be, uh, before uh, month 15 and very old people the reason why gait is affected is lack of strength and lack of balance mm -hmm. and i even feel like some of these i mean like squatting is basically push pull so it's interesting that it gets its own, you know, so there are these even like sort of um, pre-vitamins, yes. pre-vitamins here, I would say, like, and, and gait is really, you know, pushing and catching or something, you know, hip hinging is, hip hinging is squat again, you know, so it's interesting. Yes, yeah, they, 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 the way that you can think about it differently is vertical and horizontal. So push-pull, mm -hmm. we would talk about, uh, you know, horizontal push-pull. Uh, whereas the squatting would be vertical, access, the squatting right. or the deadlift it would be vertical, and the brace, the difference between the squat and the brace, and the sorry, and the hinge is that there is more action uh, by the hip and the and the and the torso, you know, the 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 upper body than it is from the knees. The knees participate, but there is more action by the hip and the torso when you're doing the hip hinge. Right. Um, and then in terms of like, <laughs> I sometimes tell my clients, we're, we have to do our apocalyptic um, fitness, which to me is like when the apocalypse comes, you got to be able to run far enough to get on the last boat. You know, you got to hang long enough that somebody can catch you from the side of the building, right? <laughs> so yeah. in terms of fitness. I like that. <laughs> right? I like that. 
Um, so what, what do you think of in terms of basic benchmarks for general fitness? Uh, hmm. uh, for general population, uh, I don't want to see, I don't want to say numbers because I don't, mm -hmm. I don't Depends have age and space. Yes, yeah. of course. Uh, but, uh, I think you should definitely be able to uh, to deal with your body weight. Mm -hmm. So when we are like that, for me, that's the starting point, whether I'm dealing with uh, an adolescent or uh, an elderly person, because I have, you know, I have looked after all the time elderly people who just need to develop a little bit of strength in order to improve their walking, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and what you see is that, Uh, yes, you need to be able to to deal with your body weight. Now, when you are lifting, when you're working with your body weight, there are very few things that actually make you lift your whole body weight. So to give you an example, when you're doing a pull-up, a full pull-up or chin-up or however you want to call it on the chin bar, Uh, you are probably lifting about 95-96% of your body weight. The only of your body you're not lifting is your hand Hands, your and, your, and your yeah. forearm. Right. Hand and forearm. This is, these are the two, the two parts that you're not really lifting. Mm -hmm. when, you're doing, when you're doing a handstand press-up, though, you are actually lifting your whole body apart from your hands. Exactly. Yeah? But when you're doing a press-up, you're lifting between... 65 and 67% of your body weight. And when you're doing a, an inverted pull, it's the opposite move. So you are lifting again about 65% of your body weight. When you're doing a squat, it's a lot less because there are a lot more body parts uh, that you have to take into consideration that you're not lifting. And, and they are heavy, the, the, the body parts that you're not lifting. Yeah. So if, if a, an individual cannot do a body weight squat, let's start with a box squat, like a chair squat, and then I think you have some issues there. So if you see an individual, we're not going to put a, 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 a no, sorry, an age number. Mm -hmm. I think you see an individual standing up from a chair by using uh, the hands on the, on the, on the knees, trying, trying you know, to help the lift The, you know, to, 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 to get up with the hands, I think that that's a benchmark of weakness that you need to work on. You need to be able to stand up from a chair without, uh, without any support by just the action, action from your body. And then there must be like cardio, like you want to be able to sustain a certain percentage of max for a certain length of time or... Yes, uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a, a, a number for that. I would be. It would be inaccurate of me to say uh, anything. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I can what, what I can tell you about this is that what you're trying to do is you try to you're trying to keep your rest heart rate up. If your rest heart is close to your max, you can see that your fitness right. is not doing very well. Right. Everything is maximal for you. That's not good. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So you need to be able to, for your rest heart rate to be as far away from your max as possible. Right. Depending, depending of course, of your age, eh? depending on age and your level of fitness. So, uh, you know, an elderly person in, in late 70s who wants to 
keep being active but hasn't been very active in his or her life, uh, if they manage to raise their heart rate at uh, 100, 110, uh, this, is, this is a success uh, for them because their age and the level of activity. Um, so when we get into talking about dancers, um, yes. thinking back to those sort of benchmarks, um, do you find that the dancers you work with are able to meet these basic general fitness markers that we've just described in terms of fitness and motor mm. skill? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll start with an anecdote. <laughs> Uh, because I, li- I like uh, anecdotes uh, because they, you know, they, they happen in life and you, you, you don't always report them or do research about them. <laughs> so when I, when I started working at the, at the ballet school, uh, of course, let's, let's put in brackets that I didn't have a dance background. So I, I, come, I come from sports. I, as a teenager, I was playing basketball and then I focused my life on martial arts but I have always been in sport and I've, I was, I've been coaching uh, athletes and adolescents for over 15 years. So I, I went to the school without any, uh, any, any preconceived ideas of what should happen. And I simply observed. Uh, I observed for a few months and I was trying to build a rapport with the, the students, trying to understand what, 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 what was happening, what needed to be done. And um, I had decided that the, the graduates, uh, which is, you know, the, the, the 19-year-old uh, students, I had decided that I wasn't going to include them in any form of studies because they were the individuals, you know, pre-professional, they're getting ready for auditions. You, you don't want to m- mess their, their 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 fitness so you don't want to experiment too much mm-hmm. with uh, what they're doing so after a few months at the school the the girls of uh, the graduates the, the female population of the graduates said to me we want to train with you and i thought oh wow i was i was so excited that <laughs> suddenly the students wanted to train with me and they, they gave me time they said to me we have this uh, the gym didn't have a lot of space at the time uh, until we refurbished it so we had the, we had the studio, and I was thinking, okay, nineteen-year-old uh, individuals, Very they train, they train, they train thirty-seven hours a week. Uh, they've been training for eight years. The majority of them are part of the pro- program of the school. So we are talking about generally, you expect some level of fitness. So I put together a, a, a not even a circuit training. It wasn't a cardio circuit. It was more a few exercises that I would normally use with netball players. So I took, I, I took that into in, consideration. I thought I've been working with netball. It's a female population, similar age. Uh, they don't do as many hours. So I thought we'll do a set of exercises focusing more on the lower, lower body. We go in the studio. I give them the exercises. They do them. They, they, they could do them. And they couldn't walk for seven days. They never came back to me, Ellie. <laughs> sure. They never came back. I was so I was so disappointed with myself, but I couldn't have known. Honestly, I couldn't have known that right. this was going to be the case right. because I assumed that there was going to be some level of fitness. What what was very obvious was that the strength was there, but the conditioning wasn't. So they you could actually perform. Yeah, they did it exactly. They were able 
but the pain that it caused to the muscles, it took seven days to recover, and I would say 99% of them never came back to me. So I failed dramatically. I learned my lesson. It was a hard, it was a hard lesson. For all of you. <laughs> of course, of course, because imagine, you know, they, I felt so excited that I was gonna, I was gonna train with them, and uh, that was it. It was one off <laughs> times, you know, and they never came back. So to answer to your question, no, the reality is that I don't always see this basic level of uh, um, fundamental moves and conditioning, uh, and this is uh, this was uh, indicated to me. When I started investigating injury prevention as well, so when I started, when I developed uh, the intervention that I, I, I put together for injury prevention, uh, we started uh, doing it, and uh, the, the students were reporting uh, delayed onset muscle soreness in short DOMS. So they were reporting muscle soreness, and for me, what I was asking them to do was something that we would do for warm up in the female sport. It, would, it was very light. So the reality is that the moves and muscular conditioning, strength, uh, no, I do not see it yeah. with that. And I, you know, we, we teach a similar type of population. I remember seeing it with young little ballet dancers and elite training where you know, you look at the complicated stuff that they're doing in class and then they can't even stabilize their spines on in four-point kneeling. You know, and you think, yes. wow, that's, you know. And so if we think back to those um, first experimental dancers of yours, um, what was it, why is it that they are able to do all that they do make that workout happen, but then not tolerate it? Why is that? It, it is, it is for, the, for the simple reason that uh, the muscles are not conditioned for the demands of the exercise or the workout. So uh, you, you can push the boundaries of your strength and you can let's say, carry your body for a, for a squat. But if I ask you to do 10 squats, the muscles can't take it. The, the body weight squat is not a problem, and that's quite common in dance, that, that they can do certain things, but only for a few times. Another example would be a male dancer uh, lifting, doing, doing some overhead lifts with, uh, with uh, his partner, and they, they can do it, but it's going to be one time, maybe a second time, and the third time it might fail. So there is no, uh, there is no strength endurance. So they might have the basic strength, but then we go to the different elements of, of strength training. That you have speed strength, you have strength endurance, and it seems that in, in dance uh, we focus only on some levels of endurance. So you're going to see, for example, a lot of clumps. So we work a lot on the uh, abductors and we want to work the quotation commas turnout muscles, uh, but we don't work our, um, uh, our adductors or our internal rotation muscles. So we create 
muscle imbalances because there is a specific focus and the word specific comes <laughs> right on cue right. here because they there seems to be uh, this idea that these are the muscles that we need to train and this is what we have to do but we forget that we need to tick some other boxes as well exactly general of general uh, fitness and uh, preparedness if you want yeah and this is what i think is interesting about this topic because um you know we promote this idea of specificity of training, right? Like you want dancers to be conditioning in ways that are relevant to what they're going to do. And yet, um, if we are exclusively doing one thing all the time without checking those general boxes, right? That's where we get into the area of injury because you can be conditioned in, in a very specific way and that doesn't have to be a problem, Yes. But I guess it starts to become a problem when, yeah, you don't have that, that baseline underlying um, foundation in place. Yes. You know, you know, when we discussed at the beginning about the baby growing up, uh, month one, month two, month, month three, etc. In month 15, you expect to see competent walking. Uh, the, 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 the principles of training, some, some of the principles, there are, there are lots of principles, but you have to think that you have to start basic, simple, and move to advanced, complex. You have to start slow to go fast. You need to do low force to high force. You need to do short distance to long distance. You need to do uh, bilateral, so work with two legs or two arms, and then unilateral. Uh, and you, you use the gradual over overload principle. So if you if you think now about specific and general, and if you just work on the specific, it's as if you are uh, you are neglecting the the progression rules mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you you haven't really thought of okay slow to fast basic to uh, advanced to and and complex yes uh, low force high force you are you are not ticking all the right uh, boxes and I think what's what's happening the result is that you might get competent movers in dance so they will learn how to do uh, certain things but as you very rightly said then you try to go to a basic move and there is no um, no competence so mm -hmm. they they go uh, they try to stabilize their spine while they're extending the hip and they are on their hands and knees and you see that the pelvis is all over the place. You exactly. they cannot control it, right. and if you can't control it in such a simple move, how are you going to control it when you're doing all the other crazy things that you can do? And I, and I saw this, I saw this. I'll tell you this. I saw this with some break dancers because at some point uh, before I went to the school, I was working with some dancers, a small dance company that the university had put uh, together, and I was supporting them. And I have to admit, I was also experimenting with some ideas of how to do certain things. And at some point, a group of break dancers came in. They were amazing with some of the stuff they were doing. I mean, they, they were not at the quality that you see some, some really, uh, really crazy uh, acrobatics that you see now with breaking. But they were they were amazing, mm -hmm. and I asked them, I asked them to do a lunge. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Can you do it? But you can't you can't do a lunge a walking lunge without actually 
uh, using your hands to balance. You know, they 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 they, they couldn't. Really, right. it was such a fundamental move. But when they got momentum, they could spin, they could flip, they could. So <laughs> we, when they when they had momentum, movement was okay. But when you try to actually condition them with some basics, they couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, we have a phrase always in ballet when we were growing up, we'd always say like, you know, how ballet dancers are notoriously clumsy. And they always say, you know, oh, you can dance, but you can't even walk down the stairs. You know, it's like, wow, no, they yes. really, really can't. Yes. Um, and that also has to do with this idea of early specialization. So, uh -huh. um, you know, particularly, of course, in ballet, it's like, yeah, the students are developing these very, very specific movement patterns and skills you know at eight or ten so mm -hmm. um could you tell us a little bit about what we know about early specialization um uh, yes uh, yes i can and it's something that uh, is is of interest it's a topic of interest it wasn't um the topic of my um uh, my my PhD, but I did touch uh, on it a little bit. I know that there are some practitioners that there is a group of practitioners who is actually investigating early uh, early specialization. Uh, so I will not pretend to be uh, an expert. However, uh, what we do know is that if um, if an individual uh, decides to specialize in one discipline uh, by the age of 12 uh, that discipline is the main focus um, of, of training all through the year and everything is happening at the expense of free play we are sort of meeting the rules of early specialization so we can debate as to whether uh, ballet dancers are, uh, uh, you know, uh, do, uh, um, how can I say it? Uh, are doing early specialization. Yes, yes, we can debate, but uh, think about it. They are, vocational education starts at 11 plus. Uh, the, the focus is dance. Uh, there is, in, in the UK, it's 19 hours a week. Uh, so an 11-year-old, 11-plus-year-old uh, individual will be doing 19 hours uh, a week. And uh, there is very little time for free, for free play. Mm -hmm. So uh, early specialization for me, uh, especially in ballet, uh, meets all the criteria. <laughs> and on top of that, you look at the injury prevalence uh, numbers and percentages, and we know that early specialization is associated with high risk of, in particular, overuse injuries. And uh, young adolescent, uh, well, adolescent uh, ballet dancers uh, have high prevalence of overuse injuries above uh, 70%. What about other populations? Like, um, when we go back, you mentioned the hip-hop or, or the um, breakers. But, like, do we know in the literature... Um, you know, we talk a lot about the fitness levels of ballet dancers, but, you know, certain other forms like ballroom is much more athletic or, um, you know, West African is, you know, a huge cardio demand. So, yeah. um, 
I guess, do we know about other dancers or should we just make sure that we say that we don't know before we know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I have to admit that I haven't done any particular um, investigation in different forms of uh, dancing. I, I, have, have, I have looked into the literature of ballet and contemporary dance, uh, but we do know that uh, breaking, especially if a, a child is exposed uh, at breaking uh, at a very young age, we have seen some kids at the age of five or six doing some uh, amazing things that you don't expect a, a child at this age to be able to do. So where does this lead, though? Does this, uh, does this lead to excellence? Uh, so does this mean that the, the child at the age of five who does amazing, spectacular moves with, uh, with, with great clarity and uh, great accuracy, does this mean that this uh, individual will, uh, you know, will eventually be elite and go to competitions. We don't know, and I don't think that they, that many people are monitoring this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what is the attrition rate? What is the when when you start dancing from that age? Do you still are you still in love with it at the age of twelve, thirteen, fourteen? Mm-hmm. Right. Because you start at the age of five. So I'm I'm just putting some questions out there that I really don't know uh, the the answer. What the, the, what we have seen though from the different. Uh, genres of dance, if you want, or different styles, is that uh, fitness hasn't really been a big part of the training. And uh, the, when you have this conversation about fitness or about strength or about the uh, the, the, the different elements of fitness, uh, you do you do seem to be getting the same response that you know this is dance, this is not sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. So speculative, I'm speculating here, but I think that you would in every different genre that you uh, that you that you will want to investigate, you will see similar patterns that people focus on becoming good at the at what they love doing, dancing, mm-hmm. and they will not think of supplementary exercises uh, for dancing. So whether it's uh, you know some uh, of the Eastern European uh, Folk dancers, where right. yeah, where they're doing some uh, you know crazy deep squats and yeah, jumps yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. These these guys haven't done uh, barbell squats. They right. haven't uh, <laughs> they haven't been to the gym to deadlift. Uh, but they seem to you know to become successful. So. How do they do it? And for there how is, long are they able to? And for and for how long? How long can the knees last? Right. Who knows? Uh, uh, but you know, tra- tradition doesn't only uh, apply to ballet. There is other forms of dance who uh, rely on tradition and what and what has happened in the past. And you know, this is what this is how we're doing it. This is how it needs to be done. So I don't expect totally. you know, yeah. as I said to you, the. Eastern European dancers, I don't expect them for me to go as a strength and audition because I say, ah, you're doing this, right? You need to do some deep squats before you do this. They, they're not really going to be open to my, right. <laughs> to my ideas, I think. Yeah, I think I, think I agree, I, again, without knowing um, the intimacies of all these different genres. I do think that the idea of use dance training to get better at dance is pretty yeah. widespread across yes. various genres. Um so when we talk about combating that very notion, um, I want to talk a little bit about 
the idea of cross training versus conditioning for dance, because like when, when I was young, um, in ballet, they were starting to talk a little bit about cross training was the term that was used. Um, and then even as I was an adult dancer, I found myself torn between the idea of saying, okay, well, I know that most of the dance performances I have to do require say 40 minutes of, um, intermittent, you know, moderate to high intensity work. But I also think that, you know, so I want to get good at that. But then I was also thinking, yeah, but I also know that I can't do 20 minutes of steady state, moderate to high intensity activities. (laughs) And that doesn't seem good. So I think I should also work on that. So I sometimes felt conflicted. And do you think differently about the idea of cross training in terms of sort of combating the extremeness of specialization versus conditioning for dance, which I think of it more as like performance enhancement of. Okay. Let's, let's get, let's, yeah, let's say, let's make sure that uh, we are, let, let's, let's clarify the, um, the definitions yes. so that we, we both know that we're talking about the same thing. So uh, what you, what you mean by cross training, I'm guessing, so correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you mean, uh, the diversity of, uh, yes, of training. Exactly. So if you're doing, yeah, if you're, if you're doing ballet, ballet go play to, tennis. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, yes, and the the other uh, thing that you said was to condition yourself for dance. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there is no right answer here. There is no there is no one way. Uh, leads to London from Birmingham. There are many different motorways that can take you to to London. You can go via Oxford. You can go via Wales. You can, you know, you can even fly if you want. So, uh, so I, I suppose it's the same in the in the states. You know, there are many different ways to go to one direction. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's a there is there is debate on this. There is pro and against. There is. Uh, so I will give you again some anecdotes from different seminars and conferences I've been. Uh, the, the Chelsea uh, Football Club, uh, I would say about 10 years ago, had one of the best academies uh, in the UK. It probably still is, but now there are more. It's not just Chelsea. There is Manchester, there is Manchester City, there is Arsenal, there is, there is plenty. So I met the movement specialist who, uh, who was uh, training the, the, the youth there. And uh, he disclosed to us that by changing the movement pattern of the young footballers 20 minutes a week, 20 minutes, he only okay. got them for 20 minutes, he decreased uh, Oscar Slater's disease by 60%. Wow. So, and this is an anecdote, yeah? It is not published. This is the stuff that he said with us in a presentation. So he was just taking them away for 20 minutes and he was changing the movement pattern. So instead of running and kicking a ball, they would walking be walking backwards. on all four, right. Right. walking yeah. backwards, walking sideways, walk, doing, doing games. Because we're not talking about weights. We're talking about young individuals and they just needed to change the movement pattern. So he said to us that wow. he decreased, he managed to decrease the Oscar Slater's disease by 
that's not something, even if his data is not accurate, that's not something that we, we can just uh, Completely uh, omit. Yeah. Yes, right, exactly, right. exactly. So, so there, is, there, is, there, is a, there is a debate for, for both. There is a debate for cross-training and there is a debate for specialization. Uh, there is uh, who is right it's very difficult to say because all of us are carrying on uh, are carry our own biases so the people the people who are supporting uh, diversification and uh, exposing the young individuals in different uh, sports uh, will find elite athletes who have done exactly that <laughs> right. uh, but then again you will find other uh, um, researchers and practitioners who can actually give you the exact opposite. Uh, I think it's it's finding the balance. I think that uh, especially when we're talking about dance uh, at a young age, uh, dancing and in particular ballet at a young age is a very low intensity activity. You're not doing uh, super hard training. It's not. It's not the type of training that you would say it's very taxing. Right. It's, com- you know, it's super it's not, complex and specific it's com- complex, and, and of precise, course. but of it's course. not, and there's a huge amount of precision, but in terms of physiological markers, it's yes. not, yeah, it's not, it's not taxing. So I think we should find a way to, uh, to, to create some balance. There. Mm-hmm. We need, mm-hmm. we need the organism to be taxed a little bit different. It's a very young organism and needs needs different stimuli. To learn, so, yeah, right. Yes, of course. And also to learn how to push mm-hmm. because this is this is another problem that when you when you discuss with dance teachers, you you, you see that they are talking uh, about the uh, the young dancers giving up easily or stopping and being afraid to push a little bit further to push the boundaries, and I have to agree. I see this a lot. I see I see young dancers who do not know where that limit is. So you you might say to them, you know, I need you to go on the bike. You are injured. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. I want you to go on the bike, but I want you to go so breath. So don't don't get afraid of it. And then I go and check, and it's level two. Right, right. Uh, level two, I would put my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you increase the the resistance, and you p- put them to level five, let's say, and they go sort of breath and say, "Oh, yeah, but I'm sweating." It's like, no, that's the whole point. Right. <laughs> so I feel that uh, go back to the question because I can I can go off on one, and I'm trying to keep control of my of my thought. <laughs> uh, there is there is a necessity in dance. I think there is a necessity in dance for some cross training it doesn't it doesn't need to be uh, extreme cases you don't need to have a second focus but uh, if you think that vocational education in in the uk is about 37 weeks it is 37 weeks and they, there are a few weeks that you know are without the education of vocational dance so this is the time that you could spend doing other things but don't they usually this go, is, that's when they go to international ballet camp. Exactly. <laughs> this is when they do, this is when they do, and this is the, the amazing thing, uh, Ellie, is that, and I'm reporting this in the PhD, is that the, the reported hours are the ones that are written in programs and in, uh, in uh, schedules, school schedules. I don't know what they're doing 
No. Yeah, I mean, I used to, I used to, after school was over and before ballet camp started, I would go to ballet class, right? Like I would yes. still go to like, oh, the local studio that wasn't my large institution, but you know, they have a, have a good class on Thursday night and take yes. class there or the open adult class for regular employees at six o'clock in the evening at the dance yeah, institution. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I filled all those weeks with just ballet. Yes, exactly. And I think <laughs> this is, uh, this is where I, I, I think we could actually complement the training by doing other things that, I mean, it doesn't need to be break dancing or it doesn't need to be something that is, as I said, you're an extreme sport, right. but different activities. It could be cycling, it could be swimming, it could be... But we need to find ways to just tax the system and the brain with different movement patterns. Yeah. Because yeah. this early specialization, sometimes it works, but I get the feeling, and, you know, again, I'm speculating, but I get the feeling that there's a lot of chance there. There's a lot of there is a lot of hope that it's going to work. Hope and a prayer, we call that. Yeah, yeah and and hope, hope. We know very well that it's not a strategy. Right, right, right. So, so I, I believe that there is no true system. There is there are systems, there are ballet systems, but there is no true system for youth dance development. I don't know if this is. I don't, I don't know if this sounds very harsh or very negative. I, I'm not negative. I'm being critical. Uh -huh. Uh, and 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 I strive to to develop ideas that can potentially advise practice, but I get the feeling that you know when when Vaganova uh, developed uh, her system, uh, Vaganova didn't know what we know now. Uh, there there was no the you know the model learning theory and model learning uh, uh, concepts. Uh, we do, we do, she did not she hadn't studied motor learning she hadn't no uh, you know right. <laughs> yeah so so I mean fair, fair play to her because what she did was was amazing uh, however uh, there is a question you know are we are we treating uh, youth uh, like mini adults is it is it that we have taken something that was developed for adults and we have Adapted Just made it smaller, it. Or, yes, <laughs> right. yes, for, it down a little, for, yeah. yes, exactly. So I think that the, for dance there is a necessity for some cross training. In, that's my opinion, though. And as I said to you, they, 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 there is pros and cons, and people can disagree. Right, right. Um, well, let's go into the sort of idea of conditioning for dance, like performance enhancement, which I assume. You know, it's really in your wheelhouse, and uh, so I, I think you'll probably have a lot to say about this. Um, and so, if we've sort of assumed that you have helped a dancer meet these sort of basic fit fitness measures, and you feel you can move on to some real like specificity of training, um, yes, can you talk a little bit about like what those needs are for dance um, and how you're incorporating them into training and how that training maybe looks different than like other athletes. Yes. Um, there is the, the rule of specificity and overload is that the, the closer the modality and the move is to the, the discipline, the less the load. So mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So if a, if let's say that you are, uh, let's say we are talking about uh, hip extension, and hip extension can happen in many different uh, ways. Uh, so if you think of uh, or hip abduction, let's talk about hip abduction. So we have developella second. Mm-hmm. Very good, hip Nico. Extension. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I try. I try. I do try. Uh, the the closer the closer the move is to the actual move of the discipline, the lower the load. It's impossible to create load with uh, the, the specific move. Right. Right. Yes. So so what happens even when we are let's say we are we are helping a dancer and we want to make a dancer um, stronger. Uh, let's say the aim is that we want to increase uh, strength and power. So we want to increase the jump height. Uh, we have to start with specific. Uh, no, sorry. We have to start with general. I beg your pardon. We have to start with general. We are, we are increasing the load. We are working uh, uh, for a few weeks. Then we convert the strength uh, to power. And then we need to uh, take it to the studio. And this is where the specificity really starts because it's not so much to do it in the gym is to take what you do in the gym and put it put it in the studio put it to practice so it's not so for instance in ballet the majority of the jumps well all the jumps are in in turnout mm-hmm. i wouldn't i wouldn't ask the the dancer to lift weights in turnout because it's a very awkward position for the body uh, to control and and it, it's very it, it can prove dangerous to you can hardly control try. your own body weight and turn out uh, exactly <laughs> so it, it's a it, well think about it the balance changes so much yeah. when you are in turnout yeah uh, that uh, if i give you imagine i'm, I'm going to ask you to do a single leg uh, squat in turnout with a, with a barbell i mean that would be <laughs> that would be criminal by me i think and even though I do see some stuff online and <laughs> on the net, and I get a bit a bit frustrated. So, if we use this as the rule that the closer the move is to the discipline, the less the load is going to be. Therefore, you have to increase the load, and then slowly you will you will go to the point of increasing the velocity. So you have to increase the speed of movement because you know not not all. Uh, uh, all dance is slow and controlled. There is there is quite explosive moves. There is there is a lot of spinning. There is a lot of jumping. There is continuous jumping. So you will you will go towards a specificity by actually using what you took from the gym and putting it in the in mm-hmm. the studio. Mm-hmm. And even though we say we talk about performance enhancement, really. We have very little evidence as to <clears throat> what is that performance enhancement we are talking about. If you if you look into the literature, there's a couple of studies that have assessed, and they are not very strong studies. They are not, uh, you know, methodologically they're not very strong studies. You know, small small cohort. Uh, there are some methodological limitations that they, they assessed. We did some fitness and then we assessed the, the quality of uh, dancing and the assessors, uh, they didn't know who was doing conditioning and they found, yeah, but it happened once 
with a very small uh, sample. So really, we we haven't got evidence. Right. And it's it's impossible to it's really impossible to get that evidence because it's not an objective truth. It's not like they finished Absolutely. the race sooner. It's I mean, Absolutely. my my grandmother can love a performance that I think is horrid. Right. <laughs> so performing enhancing from whose perspective. Right. So, yes. And I, 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 I agree. And to be honest, I find it very difficult to, to debate on that because uh, all, all I will say to you is that I'm trying to enhance the performance of the organism physiolo- physiologically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm trying to do this is because I have, um, through observation and through uh, some studies that you, you see, you, you you realize that, okay, if we improve, for instance, if we improve the, uh, the counter-movement jump, it's associated with the Grand Zeta. So you're thinking, okay, you, you want to have that ethereal look in Grand Zeta. You want, you want to have that, that pause in the air where it looks effortless and it looks as if you're floating, yeah? And you're not going to be able to do this if you cannot jump. And you cannot just rely on getting better in jumping through doing more grand jetes. You really need to work on your engine to produce more power, increase your jump height, and then your grand jete will look a little bit different. So we know that there is there is some association between this athletic performance, if you want, jumping mm-hmm. in parallel, mm-hmm. and, uh, and doing a, a balletic move. And on the other hand, I will tell you that this is unpublished data. I haven't published the data yet, but I did an investigation to look into the association between jumping in parallel and jumping in first. And surprise, surprise, the people who could jump high in parallel could jump high in first. So right. this is this is how I see performance enhancement. I cannot guarantee that it's going to make you a better dancer. And that's the truth. Right, right, right. Um, so where do you see... Where, so that's sort of how you think about giving a good program. Where do you see dancers going wrong? Um, I'm thinking about things like I often talk to students about, you don't need to do a four-minute plank. Four-minute plank, you're going to get really, really good at doing a plank, which means you're really good at holding a static position in that relationship to gravity. So unless that's in your choreography, it doesn't necessarily relate to stabilizing your pelvis in a vertical relationship to gravity, right? So that's one that that I, that's one of my pet peeves. What else, what do you see in your field? Um, yeah. Yeah, they, I, 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 see, I see trends. I see, I see that, uh, and I mean, I've only been in this uh, environment for five years, this is my sixth year, but I do see trends over the years. So the plank, uh, started about 10 years ago and uh, suddenly people were talking about core and they weren't talking about the six-pack anymore. They weren't talking about sit-ups. They were talking about core training. And what I have uh, observed is that, yes, the plank becomes a favorite, uh, but then they forget the obliques, so they forget the side plank and and they hate the reverse plank. So... Again, we haven't haven't published this data, but <laughs> the school proved to be weak in the side and the back. <laughs> but the plank the plank was very good. <laughs> so we, the dancers tend 
to do what they like to do and what they're good at, and they try to avoid the things that they're not very good at. And I see this as a constant trend with the, the population that I'm working with. So if you say to them, you know what, it's the side plan, you say, yeah, but I'm not good at that. <laughs> say, yeah, that's the reason you have to do it. So it seems to be the, a constant dialogue and constant preference of, uh, of what we're good at to get them better. So yes, I've seen planks for four minutes, six minutes, eight minutes. And then at the end of the day, you see them again and again and again. And I see this, and I don't know if you want to touch on this as well. I see this with flexibility as well. It's a, a, similar, a similar trend. Uh, the, the flexible person is spending a lot of time in splits, whereas mm-hmm. the person who is not very flexible is not really doing it. And if you, if you ask them, they say to you, yeah, I'm not very good at flexibility. So it's, it's really, I don't know, it's oxymoron because you're not good at flexibility. That means you need to work on it. And the person who's hypermobile and super flexible stays in splits, yeah, stays in splits and frog positions forever. You know, they, they have a chat, there was a film. <laughs> well, I think, so, I think it really, yeah. I mean, I always think that comes back to this idea of like, we haven't been trained to think strategically about mm, training. We mm. think more traditionally about training. And um, yes. so I think, yeah, it doesn't, because I often find, you know, once you can start to explain that the benefits to the strategic planning and training, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that would work. <laughs> and actually like, yes. that sort of takes us to another question that I want to ask, which is like why all this matters because, um, you know, what is the importance of of, spe- of of having a specific training program that is targeting the demands of your field? Yes. Uh, if you have if you have if you have ticked all the right boxes with your general training, uh, uh, that means you are you have a training aid that is above zero. This is something I think we need, we would be maybe interesting to the listeners. That your dance age. When when did you start uh, dancing, Ellie? How old were you when you started dancing? I guess I was five, probably. Five. So at the age of five, you started dancing. At the age of fifteen, uh, your your dancing age was ten years. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, however, if let's say you came to a, to a vocational school and you came to meet me at the age of 15 and you had never been in a gym before, you had never done any fundamental movements, your training age for me would be zero. Yeah. I, so your, I, this really resonates for me. I remember when I discovered that my training age was zero. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, when I used to say this at the school to the students, some of the students were getting offended. When I was saying that you do, you have to understand that your your training age in the gym is zero, right. and you really need to work on these basics. They they were getting a bit offended, which I never understood why. I was just being honest, but it, it was it it was the re- realization that somebody was not good at something that sometimes some people find it hard. But if the training age is zero, that means that we need to. You might be able to fast forward certain things because of your uh, age and maturation. But you still have to go through them. So uh, I had a, an, an example of a, an 11-year-old, 11 plus, because that's when they come to us, 
that his movement pattern for the squad was so poor, Ellie, that I honestly, I honestly thought, how am I going to fix this? Uh, but this uh, this kid has some other qualities in dance, and obviously this is why he went through the audition, and it's <laughs> you know he came in vocational education. But his squat pattern was very poor. It took us a year. It took us a year for him to be able to stand in front of me now this year and say to me, Nico, watch. And he stood in front of the mirror and he showed me the squat pattern, and it was so good. So if your training age is zero, you need to go through the basics. Yeah. So the specificity, you cannot go specific if your training age is zero. That, that's, what I, that's what I wanted to, to get. That there is no way we're going to start talking about specificity and what? We're going to start loading the arabesque or uh, we're going to start thinking you about how we're going to take... Yeah. Exactly. So uh, you, you, your landing, <laughs> that was another thing, landing from a box... Uh, my first year at the school, and I have some pictures that are shocking with the way that they, the students were landing without any coaching. Eh? I didn't say to them, I want you to land in parallel. I just said, just land, and I filmed it. And the, the, the angles of the knees, the way the feet were placed, and it, it was just all, all over the place. But if you say to them, I want you to jump in first or in fifth, they can do it. Right. But if you just say to them, just land, it's all over the place. And that's, to me, to me, that's not that's not a, a developing the necessary abilities to perform at high level. And that's where I think we, it goes back to that, like it will affect performance because actually a lot of times those students, there's so much that goes into making, you know, a saute in first position look good. And part of that is, you know, the toes and the air and the portobra on the right place and the, you know, eyes and, you know, all the things that go into it. But they can master all of those, but they probably aren't doing a sauté in first position well either. You know, their knees are yes. probably all over the place too, you know. So they're making it look right by picking up on all the other signals and sort of um, create, you know, the illusion of dance. But they haven't really, the mechanics are problematic underneath. Yes. And uh, I was, uh, while you were talking, I was, uh, I was thinking about one of the slides that I've got in this presentation that I did before, where I was discussing with some uh, dance teachers and I asked the dance teachers to define or describe dance, but that took away the word art and expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then you just need to talk about movement. Yeah? So you can't tell me it's an art form and you can't tell me it's about expressing feelings. I want you to describe dance. And they, 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 they find it quite challenging. And this is why I do it, because I want to challenge the thinking. And then after we spend about, you know, five, ten minutes discussing about it and brainstorming on the ideas, I read, I read them the definition of athleticism. So I will read this to you from the slide, mm-hmm. and then we can, we can unpack it a little bit. Athleticism is the ability to repeatedly perform a range of movements with precision and confidence in a variety of environments which require competent levels of motor skills, strength, power, speed, agility, balance, coordination, and endurance. But isn't this dance? No, I would say that's dance technique. Yes, of course, but isn't it it part of dance? Yeah, it's certain, absolutely a part of dance, but I would say that that is... To me, that's the definition of good technique. 
I w- yes, the because then you, you will have to add the art form, the aesthetics, the aesthetics and yes. Moving through space in relationship to time and others. I mean... And the, and the feelings and the, you know, the, of course. We all know there are dancers who are phenomenal technicians. Yeah. People don't consider them impressive dancers sometimes. Yes. So if, if, if this is athleticism... And then this can be then this can be part of a dis- the description of that part of not the description. Uh, then I don't think we are ticking all the right boxes when we are discussing about uh, specificity of training. When we haven't done the general, you will not be able to reach high level of performance if you don't tick the right boxes in general training. Mm-hmm. This is my humble opinion. I agree. Well, Nico, that time flew by and I think we should wrap this up, <laughs> even though you and I could probably go on for another hour and a half. But I agree. Um, <laughs> I think we could, we could do a second episode at some point. When you totally. Want and, and, and discuss it further. If you Happily. Um, is there anything else in, in conclusion then that you want to say? Any closing thoughts or remarks that we haven't touched on that seem critical for this first conversation on the topic? I think uh, is again an, another uh, quote that I use quite often that the physiology of the movement is as important as the movement itself. Uh, and uh, I think this is where dance uh, needs to reflect on its practice uh, a little bit. You know, we cannot we cannot simply uh, call it an art form and try to go against physiology. The physiology of the movement is as important as the movement itself. That's how I would close. Thank you so much, Nico. It was a great conversation. Um, Until next time. Ellie, thank you very much for inviting me. Looking forward to the second episode. Take care. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewall Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to DanceWell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation, to dance well, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.